All right, help me out to get started. I want to ask you a question, and it's, uh, it's one I want responses to, okay? What are some of your biggest pet peeves? <laughs> we didn't hear that. Happy Father's Day. Kids are the biggest pet peeve. Keep going, keep going. What are some of your biggest pet peeves? Let's hear it. Negative words. Uh -huh, negative words. I heard something else. What was that? I'm, so, oh, okay, yep. Yep, I hear you guys. Keep going. Other, what? Yeah, bad drivers, okay. Yep. What's that? Yeah, okay, yep. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? Hey, have you ever, um, how does it feel to talk to someone when they're distracted? Is that a pet peeve of yours? I'm sorry I just did that to all of you. It was an illustration. I wasn't trying to ignore you because you were actually were engaging really well. And I'm not sure what you said, but I'm guessing it was eating Flaming Hot Cheetos at night. And the, that is her biggest pet peeve, and we're working on it. It's the biggest threat to our marriage is my nightly eating of Flaming Hot Cheetos. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there is, for many of us, nothing worse than engaging with someone who is obviously deeply distracted, right? I mean, nothing makes you feel more like you just don't matter to that person because everything else seems more interesting besides you in that moment, right? Well, in our series, Summer Break, we're trying to capture that true rest that Jesus promises by yoking ourselves to Jesus, by his easy burden that is his yoke that is light, we want to follow in the ways of, of Jesus and try and find the lifestyle of Jesus and how, how we need to alter our lifestyle to match his. And so today we're talking about presence in the face of a distracted world. As we seek to slow down to embrace this easy yoke of Jesus, we have to consider his presence. Not just how present he was to everyone he encountered as he walked this earth, but also the profound fact that one of God's greatest gifts to us is his nonstop and forever presence. Can you imagine if God was distracted? I mean, he's holding the cosmos all together right now. And what if he just took a moment off? Not good. Imagine if Jesus was staying there and, and uh, uh, walking to his disciples and Peter sees him and Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk towards Jesus and Jesus gets a text and just turns away all of a sudden and then he gets back to, hey, where's Peter? Oh, right? What if God was distracted? It would be awful. Our God, thankfully, is ever present to us. He is never distracted. He is 100% all the time completely locked in. In fact, there's even a name of Jesus that helps reveal this to us. We celebrate it a lot at Christmas, but it's an ongoing truth of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Consider Jesus Christ. He left heaven, born a baby. He lived fully human, fully divine, to be close, to know us on a deeply intimate level. Later, after conquering the grave and rising again, he sends his spirit to then dwell within all who believe in him. God is ever present 
to us in the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit. You don't have to travel any longer to the temple to be in the presence of God. You don't have to walk shoulder to shoulder with Jesus in Galilee any longer to be in the presence of God. He is right here. God loves you so much that he deemed fit to move in. Yes, indeed. God is ever present to us. His companionship, his word, his power, his encouragement, his conviction, his peace, his presence is here. But the question is, how present are we to him? That's what we're exploring in twofold today. We're going to turn now to God's true word. Luke chapter 10 is where we begin, verses 38 through 42. That's kind of our primary text today, Luke 10, 38 to 42. You are invited to turn to it if you feel so inclined. Hear now the true word of the Lord. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset over many things. All but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. God added his blessing to the reading of his word. You know this passage, don't you? And all the Marthas in the place gave a collective grimace and a groan. Here we go again. Heavy dose of conviction today. Welcome to Hope Church. We, we try to categorize people as like a Mary or a Martha, don't we? But that's completely unfair because honestly, we're all just a broken mess. And we're all kind of like Martha in different ways, aren't we? Yeah, think about it. You have worries, then you're like Martha. You get distracted, you're like Martha. You, you know, got all these important things to do on your to-do list, you are like Martha. You mix up your order of priorities, you're like Martha. You get upset over many things. You grow resentful of others as you work hard. You bicker with your sibling. You bicker with God. We can all relate on some level. But Jesus, in his kind, his patient, his perfect way, draws Martha back into the right way of things. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, but it says Martha was, did you see that word? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha wasn't doing bad things. It's just that her focus was in the wrong place. And Jesus brings this reality gently to the surface for her and for us. There are many things vying for our attention. You know that, right? 
There are many things vying for our attention every day. More things are vying for our attention now than ever before. Here's some jarring stats. 50 to 400 ads. That's how many advertisements the average person sees each day. That's through, yeah, it's crazy. It's through your phone. It's through people's clothing. It's through the billboards. It's through TV. It's all that stuff. 50 to 400 advertisements a day. On average, individuals tap our phones up to 2,600 times a day on average. That accounts to us receiving over 40 notifications on average per day on our phone. That's over 40 times where our attention is taken away from whatever we are focusing on, and we're focusing on this. It all adds up to the average user of a smart device coming to five hours of usage a day. And if you happen to be an office worker, this one may stop you in your tracks. The average emails for an office worker is about 120 emails per day. No wonder people don't read my email. Some of those are spam. Some of them are promotions and all of that. And if you see those stats and you say, those feel inflated, well, I, I can give you my sources. But also, I'd say it's closer that, to reality than many of us might think because I believe it's more the possibility that we are very numb to our reality. Is it safe to say we get distracted? Is it safe to say there are many things, these plus so many others, are vying for our attention each and every day? Our friend Martha did not have all this tech stuff to deal with, but she had the same problem. Because we talked about this last week, that, that hurry and over busy isn't just a product of our time. It's not solely a disordered schedule. It's a sign of a disordered heart. And so Martha is doing important things. In fact, necessary things. And at that time, these actually were the expected things of hospitality when you have someone come into your house. Things such as uh, making the food and doing the dishes and lighting the candles, setting out the cushions, all, the, all that stuff. And Jesus comes to her, meets her in her frenzy, meets her in her frustration at her sister, and he redirects her to the proper way. Mary has chosen the right way of things, to sit in the presence of Jesus over and above all things. Jesus doesn't really desire the best meal or the perfect table setting. He longs for our presence. He left heaven for us. He sent his spirit to live within us, not just to wait around while we do all our important work, but to be actively present with us present to him in our lives. He came to save us so that we might be in close relationship with him forever. To follow Jesus, to be yoked to Jesus, is to be close to Jesus and attentive to his presence. And we're not just talking in our quiet time. We're not just talking when we get to heaven. We're talking about here and now in all things. Have you ever competed in a three-legged race? How does it go if you're not like 
in line with your partner. It doesn't go well. Have you ever done that? Have you been the one dragged on the ground? <laughs> it's not fun. You have to be close. You have to be in sync. That's probably our closest illustration to what it is like to be yoked, like by pulling a plow type of thing, yoked uh, to Jesus, is to be so close and so in step with him that we know what step is being taken and we're following his lead. If we are connected by a yoke, moving where he moves, following where he leads, we need to be close enough to know him. This theme comes up again and again in Scripture. It is backed up uh, throughout the centuries, but through different theological teachings and orthodox instruction. Think of Jesus. We talked about this last week with his invitation. Abide in me. He calls us, abide in me. Not check in with me, peace out for a while, and then come back. It's abide and remain with me as a vine to the branch. We remain in him. We stay present and attentive to him because apart from him, we can do nothing. Nothing that matters for the kingdom. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Elsewhere, Paul frames it in his challenge to rejoice always and pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray continually. Have an ongoing throughout your day, interaction, conversation, presence with and to God. It's his way of calling us to this, this ongoing attentiveness. He also says in Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are constantly renewing our mind, drawing our attention back to God, his will, his way of things as we go through this world. And then in the 1600s, it's what Brother Lawrence called practicing the presence of God. And this is the beautiful thing. Being present to God doesn't mean just having set aside quiet, meaningful time with God. See, silence and solitude, that is absolutely how we cut our teeth to learn how to be present in all things and present to God. But our primary call to following Jesus is to remain in Jesus. Not to stay out of the world, but to remain in Jesus as we go through this world. To abide in Jesus. For he is God with us. We'll learn more about silence and solitude and stillness and how that is such an important practice. And I think it's two weeks you're preaching on that, Pastor Curry. Uh, and so come for that one to hear how to deepen that practice. But today we're talking more about the embracing the ongoing presence of God throughout our day, no matter what we are doing. I mentioned Brother Lawrence, and if you don't know who he is, you might have imagined something in your mind of who this Brother Lawrence was. Maybe you thought it was like a very serious and an important, pious-looking, like high-ranking monk or something, giving important homilies and whatnot. Uh, in reality, Brother Lawrence was a kitchen aide in a monastery. He held basically the lowest position you could in the monastery, and he was deeply content in that place. His book, uh, it's more like a pamphlet. I actually set it in my notebook to bring to show you today, but Daisy took it and hid it at home. 
Happy Father's Day. <laughs> get a get a scavenger hunt today. That's fun. Uh, so I can't show you it, but it's it, honestly it takes about an hour to read, um, but it takes probably a lifetime to digest. And so I highly encourage you check it out. Practicing the presence of God by Brother Lawrence. He was a dishwasher. He was deeply content because he devoted his life to simply attuning his heart and mind to the presence of God in the midst of his whole life, no matter what he was doing. He said, I don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience the presence of God because he is here in my midst right now. And so it's quite amazing uh, to find that. In fact, here's a quote from that book. He says this, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. In the midst of the busyness of his daily work and the perceived chaos of all that is happening around him, he is deeply at peace, for in that space he knows God is present, and he is seeking to remain present to him. Someone once wrote this about Brother Lawrence's writing. That is what's remarkable about the title of Brother Lawrence's book. You open it, open it expecting to read all about prayer, about solitude, about fasting, etc., Instead, you read about doing the dishes. He gets us away from looking at our outward actions and points us to our heart. You don't do spiritual things. You are a spirit-filled person, or you are not. Certainly, actions will arise out of our disposition. But first things first. That is our call, to abide in Jesus, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Turn our hearts to Jesus, no matter what we're doing. If you follow the chain of this series so far, you start to see how this all builds. The first week when we talked about how there is something terribly wrong, the way of the world is completely at odds with the way of Jesus. So we talked about last week, the speed of this world is so hyper, hyper fast, and we are, we are, we all move so hyper fast through this world that we need to shift to the slower and purposeful pace of Jesus and fix our eyes on, on him and walk in step with the Spirit. And when we slow down, we start to have the space our soul can breathe a little bit that we can turn our hearts to the presence of God in our midst. Because our life, even if we slow down, we're not called to be monks the world will still be zooming around us. But if we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, we can find he is present with us here and now. And so in our overly connected, our high-tech, our high-speed, busy-bee world, the greatest gift we can give back to our God is our presence. One of his greatest gifts to us is his presence. One of our greatest gifts in response is our presence. To say, I'm busy, God, but I am not too busy to turn my heart to you. I am washing these dishes, God, and I am delighting that I am meeting with you. 
I am now meeting with a client, God, and I am delighting that I have a chance to share your love with them here and now. But there's another side to being present, because we're not called to love God in isolation. We're called to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus and how he lived his life, and he gave us how to live through his life, and he gave us the platinum rule for how we are called to live. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Not as they deserve, (laughs) right? Not as you wish to be treated, but as Jesus has loved us, so are we to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You can't love at a distance. You can't love well if you're distracted, Even when I was doing my little silly illustration at the beginning of this message, some of you probably didn't feel all that loved, even if you knew I was trying to make a point. That's because you cannot love well when you're distracted. So being present for us really means two things. It's the only multitasking that is effective. It's being present to the presence of God right where we are, no matter what you are doing, and it is being solely focused on the work or the person that is right in front of us here and now. If our heart and our attention is on God, and then our attention is also on the person in front of us, then we have the wonderful privilege of serving as a conduit for God's love to flow from us and to them. But this is the beauty. If God's greatest, one of his greatest gifts to us is his ongoing presence— one of our greatest gifts to God is our presence, that in our overly connected, high-tech, high-speed, busy-bee world, one of our greatest gifts we can give to others is our presence. Jesus loved the person right in front of him throughout his entire earthly life. In fact, that's a takeaway if you want to practice, if you want to read one of the Gospels and just pay attention to Jesus' presence with those he's teaching and healing and serving. But consider specifically one beautiful season of his life after the resurrection and before he ascended to heaven. In John 20, he meets with Thomas one of his beloved disciples who was deeply distressed. He is grieving his Savior's death, and Jesus comes to be present right with him, right where he is, meets him in his doubts and his struggles, and gives him what he needs to believe. What if Jesus hadn't? Was too busy or distracted with other things to remember his hurting disciple, Thomas. Think also of Luke 24 as two disciples are walking on their way to Emmaus and they're going over all of these things that had happened to Jesus and Jesus comes alongside of them and walks with them on a seven-mile journey explaining to them how the entire Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The best Bible lesson there ever was. I just want to hear that. And then he sits with them. He feasts with them. Their hearts burn within them, and and he breaks the bread, and they recognize him. He took all that time to give them what they needed, to be present with them. What if he hadn't? 
Now, surely the disciples struggled to understand all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. I wonder how much these two instructed the others on what it says about him. I wonder how much about the Old Testament we now understand in the lens of Jesus because Jesus revealed it to these two. I don't know, but we might have something to attribute to them. And finally, John 21. The disciples thought Jesus was dead. The pain, the grief is too great to bear, so they seek to distract themselves from these heavy emotions. They go back to doing what they knew how to do. They went back to fish, but they didn't catch a thing, almost being forced to be present to how they were feeling. And Jesus shows up. Of course, they catch a bounty. They come, they recognize who he is. They have a meal with him. He sits with them. Simple meal. But then there's Peter. Peter. Peter, who had such gusto to follow the Lord and let him down in his greatest time of need by denying him three times. And three times, one-on-one, Jesus sits patiently, quietly with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Not to chastise him, but to reinstate him, to say what I have been longing and planning to do in and through you was never fully dependent on you. It is me working in you. And yes, you messed up, but my grace is sufficient for you. I forgive you and you have important work to do. Now get up and feed my sheep and get ready because the Spirit is coming and Pentecost is coming and you have work to do to build this church. Your name is Peter. What if Jesus hadn't reinstated Peter and he took that pain and that shame and that guilt with him to the grave? Oh, but he did. Jesus did. For all of them, he does. For you, he shows up for all of us. This is Jesus. He loves the person immediately in front of him. And if we are seeking to be attentive to the presence of God in our lives through every moment, then when we are present to both God and the person in front of us at the same time, we invite God into that space. And at the same time, we can love God and we can love our neighbor. There are so many distractions vying for our attention every single moment of every day, but few things indeed are needed. In fact, only one. Let's choose to be radically present to our Savior. As Proverbs 4 says, let our eyes look straight ahead, fix our gaze directly before us, give careful thought to the paths for your feet, be steadfast in all your ways, do not turn to the right, don't turn to the left, keep your foot from evil. Be present your Savior, who is present always to us. And so here's our practice today as we close. If you're my age, give or take 20 years, then your number one source of distraction is going to be this. There is no maybe about it. It is. So the first step is to do a digital detox. This is going to be a lot harder than you think because whether we admit it or not we are admitted or excuse me addicted to our devices and so part of a digital detox uh, whatever is right for you for me it was to dumbify my smartphone (laughs) okay there's no more social media on my phone 
there is no more notifications aside from my text messages on my phone. There are limits on my phone. So it can do more than what an old flip phone used to be able to do with maps and directions because I'm hopeless with directions like anyone my age. But, but I got rid of all that stuff. I took email off my phone. That one was hard. And then I seek to put it away at night after dinner. Because studies show if your phone is even set somewhere outside, but you're still in the same room as your phone, your attention is drawn to it because we are addicted. Our phones are like having drugs on the table for an addict in recovery. No matter how hard we want to change, we won't be able to change unless we do the drastic change. And it begins and you stay with it and you'll start to realize how hard it is. That's why it's a detox. That's my encouragement for you to find how you need a detox from that. That they're useful tools, but they can take over. So appropriate it to be a tool again instead of your life. If email is a big part of your life, you can take on limits to that. I check my email now twice a day, and that's it. Uh, It's not on my phone, so I have to go to a separate device solely for that. That's very challenging because I'm a pastor and I get important emails, so I have to find ways to make that okay. Uh, But it works for me. And then on the weekends, use your discretion, but I would say limit it or eliminate it. For all of us, I do encourage us to study deeper. I gave you that idea of reading a gospel, attentive to Jesus' presence to those who he's with. I think that's a worthwhile endeavor, absolutely. Also pick up, uh, practice the presence of God. I think that would be prove very worthwhile for your time as well. And then the final two, invite God into your conversations. So just you're going to go about your normal week of, of business, whether it's social or actual work. And while your work doesn't stop, in the midst of what you're doing, simply imagine Jesus sitting next to you and draw your heart to him. And in other words, you can worship in the mundane. You can turn your heart to God. You can turn doing the dishes into an opportunity to rest in the presence of your Savior. So turn off the podcast, turn off the music, and be present to the Savior who loves you. If this way of the world is to be hyper-distracted, let us choose the way of Jesus, one of hyper-focus on the things that matter. May we turn our hearts fully to the presence of God while remaining present to those around us as we seek to love God and neighbor just as he loves us. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for never once turning your gaze away from us, but for always, always being present to us throughout all of our days. God, you know all of our strengths, you know all of our foibles and our shortcomings. And your grace yet is sufficient for us. Through your Spirit, Lord, may you draw us closer to your presence, closer to our growing awareness of what you are doing in our lives. So in our work, may we experience you. In our quiet time, may we know you are near. In our hurt, in our pain, in our mourning, may we know you are close. And even in the mundane, may we delight in your presence.
We thank you for the ways you encourage us and inspire us and work in and through our lives. So we submit ourselves once more to you. Have your way in and through us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.